what uh, what's been said concerning the worship team this morning. This has been a this is a great atmosphere to be in, isn't it? Can't you just? I think our souls just absorb this kind of this kind of blessing. It's it's comfort for the soul. So many promises that are wrapped up in what we're about today. And uh, in just a short time, we will reflect upon the the price of our salvation and enjoy these moments in God's presence. Can I break your mood for just a moment with something a little bit silly before we begin? Uh, Friday evening was probably one of the the better evenings that I've spent with the congregation. And uh, we, it was just wonderful in every respect. And uh, Bonnie will have them, and this will be we've something that will be placed next to your birth certificate and your passport. And all of these important documents that you hold, some of you in safety deposit boxes and things like that. And so now you can add to your list of accomplishments in this world uh, that you completed the Cornerbrook Baptist Snowshoe Challenge 2017. And those of you who went it, let me let me just read you some of the wording because this is uh, this is important stuff. Be it known to all that the bearer of this certificate, in adverse conditions and at great personal risk, has been distinguished as a triumphant finisher of the race that I've already mentioned. Certificate awarded and chili served February third, two thousand seventeen. See Bonnie King if you are a participant, and there's a few people. I won't go into all of the names, but I am so proud of the the kind of uh, stamina that you showed on Friday evening to have gone on such an arduous trek and lived to tell about it. And I thought for sure there would have to be a long prayer line this morning, <laughs> but you've done you've done so very well. Well, let's uh, let's look into the into the scriptures. You can take your Bibles and put your finger in Psalm 91. And as you're coming to Psalm 91, let me also say how good it is to see some visitors with us this morning as well. And we want you to know that you're absolutely welcome here. And we trust that already the Lord has touched your soul and blessed your day, and that you will continue to be to be ministered to by his by his hand. Now, I'm not going to go directly to the scriptures yet, but just keep your finger there and we'll re- we'll read some scripture in just a little while. I want to preach on great expectations. And I trust yours are. Expectations can be optimistic and they can be pessimistic. People can either expect disaster in their lives or they can anticipate peace and security. The negative side of expectation is despair. The positive side of expectation is hope. And I'd like to introduce my topic by appealing to the hopeful anticipation of a few rats. Hope this doesn't spoil your lunch. 
That's not gory. A number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect that hope has on those who are undergoing hardship. Two sets of laboratory rats were placed in separate tubs of water. The researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour, they had all drowned. The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned to the water. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Quite a difference. And the reason, it's not because they were given a rest, but because being lifted out periodically, they suddenly had hope. Now these animals hoped that somehow, if they could just stay afloat a little longer, someone would reach down and rescue them. And if hopes hold such power for rodents, for rats, how much greater should the effect of hope be upon our lives, and how much should it contribute to our expectations? You see, we often use metaphors to describe the kind of outlook that people have about the future. And we know some of these sayings. I've heard them expressed in these kinds of ways. One person said that we're all going to hell in a handbasket. You've heard that, I'm sure. Some people speak of life or events as going down the tubes. Some people have felt that they have been like dust in the wind. And someone else has remarked that they have felt like they've been a feather in a hurricane. There's plenty of ways to describe despair, but I know you all get the point. In the years before he became king of Israel, David was often a hunted man. He was a hated man at the same time as he was a loved man. He was a fugitive, constantly running from King Saul and the weariness of looking over his shoulder, wore David down, and at times the one who was often called the sweet singer of Israel very often sang a sour note. And when you, when you take a, a good review of his life, it's understandable. But I want to look today at a burst of confidence that he has, that God was with him and was committed to a purpose for David's life. And I believe that it's the same for us. God has purpose for you and for me. And that our expectations can be great ones. It's the expectation of a man with a healthy belief in not just a powerful God, but a providential God and a personal God, one that would come to him and change his life as well. Psalm 91, familiar verse of Scripture. Many of you can quote it by, by heart today. Now, I'm reading from the New King James. You've got the NIV. Please read along for comparison purposes. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid, look at this word that comes next, of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, 
nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague Come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Is there a portion of Scripture with more promises? Is there a portion of Scripture that has should lead us with better expectations? It's fair to say today that the world lives on the edge of a security crisis. And you're seeing the events of Quebec City in the past week. We've lost our understanding of sanctuary in the times in which we live. This has been a week of funerals and mournings following this deadly mosque attack. And where can we go today to feel perfectly safe or totally safe? And God has explained in Psalm 91 in terms of his ability to give us security in our lives. And if you feel insecurity as a Christian, it may be due to a misunderstanding of God's protection. An old gospel song that I heard quite a number of years ago, and Didi and Dorcas reminded me of words that were similar this morning. I've never looked into eyes with no pain. That's the truth of life. At 16, I had my first life-altering brush with death, lost both my grandparents in a snowstorm in the rock cut near Cornerbrook, close to Cornerbrook Stream. One day, on their way to our house to spend the winter and never arrived. It was such a shocking thing that it still registers so deeply inside of my life now. And before that time, and many times since then, I've witnessed or experienced many of the common types of physical threats that we know here. Like all of you, I've lived side by side with accidents and diseases, fearing drunken drivers, Natural disasters, terrorist threats are more common now. War has been a part of our vocabulary ever since the human race has been around, and to some degree, aging. When I look at a congregation today, I know that means something to all of us now, or many of us. Some of us didn't fare too badly on the snowshoeing, but those of us who have more years may have come back with more than just a good time. Thousands of patients I've seen have introduced me to the myriad of complications that come either uninvited into life or arrived at the, at the consequence of something that was viewed as progress a, a, few, a few years ago. You see, there will always be some kind of threat that you'll deal with. There's always going to be something. At 20, it was one thing. At 40, it's another. At 60, 
something else. And at 80, well, I don't know yet, but I've passed the first three. Look at these pictures. Here's my process of aging. I'm there at eight, the age of seven, the first picture. Then I'm there at a graduation at the age of 30 when someone said I could become a minister of the gospel. That's what I looked at, looked like at 50. And if I keep going, I'm going to look more like this guy whose picture is coming up next. <laughs> See, if physical safety is my greatest challenge, I'll always be insecure because I'm always going to face something. If that's the sum total of life, there's always going to be an issue. And against some things, we will always feel that we are powerless and weak. Now, we know that David grew up as the youngest son of Jesse. Let's be true to him this morning. He's a boy of the fields with a talent for composing and singing songs, which he, he played, I suppose, on a rudimentary harp. He graduated from life as a, a humble shepherd on the hillsides of Bethlehem to being a giant killer in the Philistine-Israelite war. He went from hero to fugitive in a short period of time. He went from being cheered to being hunted throughout, throughout the nation of Israel. He went from being married to the king's daughter to seeing his wife given to another man to be his wife. And all of it occurs within a short period of time. Every familiar institution where David could possibly find some comfort and some rest had been stripped away from his life. Almost every exit was closed. Let me put it this way for you today. The armed forces of Israel were mobilized to terminate him with extreme prejudice. It was a shoot-on-sight order. King Saul had a personal vendetta against him. He could not appeal to the government because he's on the government's most wanted list. His ancestral home was watched, and even by going there, he put his own family in jeopardy. He could not go home to his wife. In fact, stable married life was denied him, and an unstable married life would haunt him for the duration of his reign. That's David's world. Not good expectations inside of that. See, with all other forms of security missing from his life, the author of this psalm, and some say David wrote it, learned to depend solely upon God. When everything else around him failed and fell down, he knew there was one place he could go to be secure. And he retreated to what the psalmist refers to as a spiritual fortress. And he rests, if you understand the metaphor, under the wings of a sovereign Lord, and there he finds protection, and there he finds warmth for life. And that's the kind of place we will all need to some degree in 2017, and certainly into the future. We all seek a secure location. For Christian, the zone of security always has to be spiritual. As to take us beyond the physical realm to eternity. And there are times, and maybe today is one of them, we need to put aside our visions of sweet Beulah land that we sing so many nice songs, songs about. And we've got visions of the hereafter with winged angels and huge glittering mansions. 
And we need to understand that, the, that some of the power of eternity, the things we look forward to, are available to us today. Security is not what we will feel tomorrow when we are gone from this earth. You can have that kind of deep, settled peace now. If this world were to collapse, if the TSE and the Dow Jones and, the, and NASDAQ and all of the markets for everything were to dis disappear, we should still have some security. In fact, our security ought to be great. Our expectations ought to be wonderful. If our peace that we've enjoyed for such a long period of time, there's been no war fought on our soil except brief skirmishes in the war on terror. But if it suddenly became an anarchy and democracy degenerated into dictatorship, or if our neighbor to the south made a decision that shook the fragile foundations of this world, which seems to be everybody's fear now, that something is going to go wrong in the United States of America, and we are going to be drawn into something that we can't control. Isn't that a fear in most people's hearts? Then we should understand we still have the rock of our sal salvation. Amen. That's what we depend upon. Not the political instability of the nation that you live in or nations around us. And the author says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So where's your security today? You see, the, rela the relationship I have with my wife and my sons and each one of you is limited by so many factors. The relationship we have can be terminated by any kind of physical reason or I can terminate it with a resignation. I could walk away from things. You can too in whatever world you belong to. But the relationship I have with God is not bound by those kinds of parameters. In fact, it is eternal. And I would never want to walk away from that. And this is the background of every one of Paul's statements that he uses that are filled with, with assurance. And if anybody needed assurance, Paul did. He wrote some of his most comforting verses when, when he was the guest of the Roman Empire with a jailer as his host. Death was Paul's companion on so many occasions. The, executor, the executioner awaited him to become his victim. But Paul understood inner security. And to the Romans, when he writes to them, chapter 8, verse 38, it begins. Paul says this. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a mouthful, but it's also security for life. That's the kind of deep, that's where deep settled peace comes from. On another occasion, he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that, for that day. And to that, you can add the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And my father who has given them, them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out out of the Father's hand. There's security for you, held in the hand of God. 
That's good expectations. That's a good place. That's a good place to live. You see, protection and security, before it's rooted in anything that we've talked about today, should be rooted in faith, because faith will transcend the physical and make the eternal our blanket of security. One of the hymn writers says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Take a long time to exhaust the wealth of this particular psalm. Verses 9, 10, and 11 beg more than just a glance. It says, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Wow. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all, all your ways. And you will notice, as I did, that they're part of the words that Jesus used to defeat Satan during the wilderness temp temptations he suffered. That's the exact words that Jesus uses. He quotes Psalm 91. It is written. Now the phrase in verse 10 is a little hard to grasp. No evil shall befall you. Pastor, you might say to me, that defies everything you've said so far this morning, and I wish I could say it were true for me, because I've had pain and I've had sickness I've had heartbreak. In fact, I'm going through some of it now. And the scripture says, no evil shall befall you. You see, I've watched as evil ripped people to pieces and do all kinds of damage. And then the verse says, no evil shall befall you. And the key to the verse is the word befall. It doesn't mean arrive. Nor does it mean no evil will come near me. But the word when you study it in the original means to contort with ang anguish. I've watched people have painful spasms and double over when they've been struck or writhe in a bed. I've seen people in deep distress show mental anguish in a physical manner. But no evil shall befall you means that it won't twist you and it won't destroy you. It doesn't say it won't come near you. That defies what we, we understand. You cannot be destroyed by Satan's schemes when you are held by God. When you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, yes, it is true that evil can come near you, but it will not twist you or destroy you. The second part of the verse states that the plague will not come near your, near your dwelling. And those who live in the secret place of the Most High have, have security. You see, every plague that has ever attacked us has been defeated at the cross. And the scriptures tell us that our lives are hidden in Christ until the day he finally removes us from this physical struggle. Paul's as realistic as the psalmist that our expectations of God's protection should lead us to seek him. He who dwells indicates someone who sought and found God's protection. It just doesn't happen. God's protection comes because we ask him to protect us. Faith drives us towards hope. It tells us, it tells us with certainty that God will lift us out of the water. And places on solid, solid ground. Chesterton wrote this. 
Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. It's paradoxical, I know. But that's the truth of, that's the truth of hope. A few years ago, James Dobson wrote about a man who grasped a very thin strand of hope. Stephen Hawking is an astrophysicist. Been, a, been at Cambridge for a while, been labeled as perhaps the most intelligent man on earth. He's carried that kind of title. He advanced a general theory of relativity further than any person since Albert Einstein. Unfortunately, Hawking is afflicted with ALS syndrome that we know as Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease, and it will eventually take his life. He's been confined to a wheelchair for years, and it appears that he can do little more than sit and think. He's lost the ability even to speak. And you and I know, if you've ever seen him, that he communicates by means of a computer that is operated from the tiniest movement of his fingertips, which is as much as he can manage. I guess we're all feeling thankful now if we went on a snowshoe hike on Friday night when we hear of a man like, like this. An Omni magazine article about Stephen Hawking stated this, he is too weak to write, feed himself, comb his hair, fix his glasses. All this must be done for him. Yet this most dependent of all men has escaped in invalid status. His personality shines through the messy details of his existence. And Hawking says that before he became ill, he had very little interest in life. He called life a pointless existence, resulting from sheer boredom. He says that he drank too much and did very little work. And then he learned that he had ALS syndrome and was not expected to live beyond a two-year period of time. And the ultimate effect of the diagnosis beyond its initial shock was extremely positive. He claimed to have been happier after he was afflicted than he was before, and that defies understanding, because I've seen this disease in its progress. And Hawking provides the answer in this manner. and says this, when life's expectations are reduced to zero, one really appreciates everything that one does have. And stated another way, it's this. Contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. So how great are your expectations? To a man like Hawking, who thought he would die very quickly, everything takes on meaning. Whether it's a sunrise or a walk in the park or hearing the laughter of children, and suddenly each small pleasure becomes precious. And by contrast, those who believe that life owes them a free ride are often discontent with the finest of gifts, the most active of lives. See, as a humans in a world that's hostile at times. We can be shaken by bad news when it comes. Sudden turns in the road of life are there for us, and we need a perspective on God that will build our confidence in him. We need to reach Hawking's understanding on a spiritual level. 
and say in a different voice that says, we have zero expectations without God. He's able to care for us. Let me end with something a little different this morning. A few years ago, a wonderful nature movie was introduced to audiences. I still have a copy of it. I think it might even be in a VHS, which is really back there, isn't it? But let me propose there were some uh, theological truth that was contained in a film called The Bear. In the film, we're introduced to a baby bear. He's cuddly and cute, a playful little grizzly. And as the story progresses, the little bear's mother is killed. And as the plot continues to unfold, the cub meets a huge male bear who's being hunted by a party of hunters in that same mountainous area. But the massive bear befriends the little one and becomes like a big brother to him. I know it's Hollywood. But the specific scene that, that I thought about in preparation for this message is one where this tiny cub is being stalked by a mountain lion. And a cub appears to be an easy meal. And as the chase progresses, the cub is chased to a cliff. And if you've seen it, you can remember this. He jumps into the river below and floats downriver for a distance on a log. And then the cougar waits where the, where the water begins to get shoal and his prey is there and it looks like the end. And the cougar moves in for a quick kill of this little bear that I've gotten so attached to and is so cute. The scene is heart-wrenching heart for someone like, like me. I could shed a tear at this kind of moment in a movie. The little cub has the instincts of what he needs to do, but he lacks the size to handle his adversary. His roar is no louder than a pathetic little ball. He stands there in front of the cougar with one paw over his eyes, and he swipes at the cougar. Too small. He's too weak. Essentially, it's over, and he's breakfast for a cougar. But suddenly, the way the film is is done, the cougar backs off. And you understand why? I've told you the answer already. Standing behind that pathetic little bear is an eight-foot grizzly with all of its ferocious energy. And so the little bear doesn't realize the big grizzly had, had arrived. And he's trying to swat away the huge problem that's capable of taking his life. And someone stands for him. And it reminded me of this verse. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I saw myself. It would be a mistake to think that we have the strength and the size to stand up to the obstacles we will face on our way to a better day. I don't have that kind of ability. And maybe you don't either. But God is able to carry us through any of the threats that we face today and tomorrow. And I think that's what creates the great expectation we have. You see, hope in Christ needs to be shared with everyone we find whose life is exposed to the bitter winds of our times and the uncertain future that so many people have. 
I'm going to get Robin to come at this point in time. And we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. But as we do, the line of a song before I pray is so applicable. I thought about, well, where, where exactly do we position ourselves today? Where do we find ourselves living? And why should our expectations be good? And so I searched back through my memory for something that would illustrate it. I came across an old song. And the song says, Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. It's got old language. And then this line comes up, the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. Wow. I could be like the little cub. I'm I'm just swiping at the obstacles. And they're too big for me. And on my own, I'm devoured by what I face. But someone stands with me. And just a shadow of the cross that I live under gives me great expectations. If God loved us so much that he gave his son, how much more will he not freely give us all things in him? I trust your expectations are great today. I trust that you find yourself in a place where you don't battle the big things in life alone. But I trust you understand that you can live by faith with Christ as the one who not only backs you up, but lives inside of you, gives you assurance that I'm in the secret place of the Most High. Father, thank you today for your great provisions for us. In a clumsy way, we try to to describe just how important it is for us to be hidden in you. But you are the anchor of our soul. You're the rock in a weary land. You're the might when we face times of weakness. Your strength when we reach the end of ourselves. And so I pray that our faith and our confidence would be in you today. And when we face those huge trials and temptations that come with life, when there's barriers that seem that we're unable to assail, I pray that we will put our faith in the rock of ages, who's able to keep us. We pray today that we'll be, we'll understand what Paul wrote that we're able to trust you, that you're able to keep that which we've committed onto you. We've committed our lives to you, and we trust you to keep it against a day when we shall, we shall see you. And so, Father, I pray specifically this morning for those who face huge barriers, who face terrible enemies. We've prayed about some of it this morning. And I pray now that we will take a moment to be calm in your presence and know that we can be lifted through the grace of God and by having faith in you to look at tomorrow with optimism and to know that our hope and our trust is in you. 
The song was so apt today. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. We ask these mercies today and pray that someone will feel that lift that comes only from you. In Jesus' name, amen.